Grootnis, greetings, especially to you, my friend. Welcome weer eens by die watergat. Ek is Peter Woon, en ons gaan nou weer een gouwe eer, saamkeier, langs die levende water van Godse woord. Beloved, modern day society in which we live, once our self-esteem at rock bottom. This is one of our biggest problems. What is a healthy self-esteem? Can Christians have one? How do we lose it? Can we regain it? We will take several messages to examine this huge problem from a biblical perspective and hopefully get some help not only for ourselves but also for equipping to help others around us. Before we get into today's topic, let's open in a word of prayer. Now, Father, we come to you because there is no one else to go to. There's no one else that we would choose to go to. You and you alone have all the answers to life. And Lord, we, we know that this self-esteem is a huge problem because we are made in your image. The enemy tries to break us down wherever he can. We ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and anoint this truth today? Would you minister to us as we hear the word? And may your truth strengthen us and heal us and uh, set us free today. May your truth help us to be equipped to help others that you send across our path. But more than anything, Lord, will your name be honored, your kingdom advance, and your will be done through this message today. We ask this in Jesus' name, all to the glory of you, Father God. Amen. So, what is self-esteem? Our Heavenly Father wants us to live wonderful lives full of significance and purpose. After 40 years of full-time pastoral ministry, I'm totally convinced that the effectiveness, the contentment, and the victory of the church, the Bride of Christ, depends more on us knowing our identity in Christ and building a high self-esteem than on anything else. We have to counteract the lies of the devil that would have us believe we are, for whatever reason, not good enough, that we are just throwaway people. And we have to teach others to do the same, starting in our very own families. To do this, we have to learn to keep making the right choices. And I'm going to be speaking much about 
making right choices over the next couple of messages. Our choices shape our destiny for better or for worse. Our destiny is a matter of choice, not of chance. William Jennings Byron said it this way, It is not a thing to be waited for. It is a thing to be achieved. Choosing what kind of person we want to be by the time we reach the end of our journey and what we want to have achieved is the most important decision of our lives. And it is our choice. Unfortunately, many of us were not taught this growing up. We settled into the system of just getting by, mediocrity, just be one of the crowd. We were not designed to melt in. We were designed to stand out. I did not choose to be born. I did not choose my parents. I did not choose to have my dad die when I was 12 years old. But I did choose to make several very bad life choices. And then one day, I decided to start making better choices. The greatest of which was receiving Christ as my Savior. And these choices have made me who I am today. And I am still a work in progress. God is not yet finished. He's still... I'm in the oven, but he's still in the kitchen. When we, began, when we begin to make the right choices, our potential to live highly effective lives releases us from all imprisoning and self-destructive fears. But this also involves a lifetime of unlearning and relearning. Do we ever get over it? I believe we learn to live in overcoming. We learn to overcome it. With the help of Jesus, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and supportive fellowship of loving, caring Christians, we no longer hide our wounds away but we turn them into battle scars, which we then wear proudly on our chests as testimonies to God's goodness and work in our lives. And what He has done in and for us, He will do for others. Choosing a lifestyle that pleases Jesus Christ is a priority decision on a daily basis. King self is removed from the throne of our lives and King Jesus is enthroned as King of every area of our lives. Genuine Christian living begins. Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to all of his followers, If you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely Embrace my cross as your own 
and surrender to my ways. And beloved, look what the cross did to Jesus. So, what is self-esteem? Self-esteem is an emotion, an extremely powerful emotion. It ranks right up there with our deepest emotions of love and hate, delight and disgust. Self-esteem is the way we think of ourselves, our self-image, our perception of self. It determines what value we place upon our lives, and in a very real sense, we become what we believe. The Bible says that as a man is in his heart, so shall he be. By changing the way we think of ourselves, we can and will change our world. This is super important in terms of healing our nation and so forth. Numbers 13, 33. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, came from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers, both to ourselves and to them. Paul advised his readers in Romans 12, at verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of their minds so that they could know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Orison Marden, the editor of Success Magazine, put it this way, The golden opportunity you are seeking is in yourself. It is not in luck or chance or in others helping you. It is in you alone. With Jesus in our hearts, and the Holy Spirit fill in our lives. We are the golden opportunity. The history of our country has conditioned us to believe that someone else always has to help us up, help us out, keep us up. This has created a sense of entitlement culture, which has caused us to fail to succeed in many ways. We believe we cannot do it ourselves. We do not have what it takes. We are destined to fail. In fact, at its worst, we believe we are failures. That is what is called a poverty mindset. It has nothing to do with money, but with how we see ourselves. If I say, I have failed... Well, that is one thing. But if I say I am a failure, well, that is something totally different completely. Self-esteem is the twin brother of confidence and its cousins are boldness and assurance. With high self-esteem, I do not constantly have something to prove to the world and his brother. When you look in the mirror, beloved, do you see the 50 million pieces that are nicely and correctly in place? Or do you see the one missing piece? Do you focus 
not on all that you do have, but on the one or two things you do not have. How many husbands have complained to me that their good ladies never compliment them on the thousand things they do right, but let them do one thing wrong, and they never get away with it. That's the kind of world in which we live. With high self-esteem, we have the boldness to dream big, ask big asks of a big God, and engage in daring exploits for God. Wow, what an adventure. We will have the confidence to do the four things needed to accomplish those daring exploits. They are plan purposefully, prepare prayerfully, proceed positively, and pursue persistently. Wow. <laughs> All the peace under the sun. Come Welcome back, beloved. You are tuned to At Radio. I'm Peter Warren, and we are looking at self-esteem. Now, the whole Bible tells us that God loves us. We are His beloved children. We have a good report in heaven, and so on, and so on, and so on. Why, then, do so many Christians live semi-paralyzed lives, crippled by feelings of inadequacy, guilt, and inferiority. The writer Charles Gordon identified the problem as low self-esteem. I believe he's 100% right. Low self-esteem is a debilitating disease, of aftakelende sickte. It slowly but surely weakens you and eventually wipes you out completely. But there is good news, beloved. There is a cure for this horrible disease. The cure of this complaint lies in a crisis of faith. And the key to overcoming it is in a change of attitude. Attitude not aptitude, determines altitude. Years ago, a senior government psychologist in the British Health Department announced that 40% of their hospital beds were occupied by patients with mental disease of some kind or other, but that he could send 90% of these patients home within 24 hours if you could only convince them they were forgiven. Beloved, by trusting more and more in God and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we come to know and believe that we are God's workmanship and that His work is perfect and all His ways are just. We need to get over ourselves. We really do. The fulfillment of our God-given destiny is at stake. Without the assurance and confidence that come from a healthy self-esteem, 
we could well die with the music still in us, with the book unwritten, with the job not done. I keep saying this. The bride of Christ is God's plan A for this nation, and there is no plan B. The fulfillment of our God-given destiny is at stake. This requires a disciplined commitment to positive thinking, positive speaking, positive action. We are able to face the inevitable trials of life with overcoming confidence centered in Jesus. It is this personal relationship with Jesus, the true vine from which the branches of high self-esteem grow. This a gedachte in half. Kom ons luister bykie muziek dan, gesels ons vijf. Welcome back to the Watering Hall. I'm Peter Warren and we are talking about the power of having a high self-esteem. People with high self-esteem can be recognized by the following things. They are far more likely to discover their divine heritage. They value themselves highly enough to believe they are unconditionally loved and forgiven. They are far more successful in interpersonal relationships. They have a strong sense of family. They are far more generous and encouraging. They are far more productive in their work. They are far less likely to become alcohol or drug dependent. They are far more likely to develop as possibility thinkers who think out human needs, meet challenges and find solutions, problem solvers. They find it easier when in the wrong to admit failure and to plan to change. They respect themselves and treat others the same way. They are enthusiastic about life with its challenging goals and opportunities. And they are far more likely to serve God's purposes and to bear the kind of fruit that brings glory to His name. Their identity is deeply rooted in God's call to them, and you did not choose me, but I have chosen you. Ralph Waldo Emerson put it this way, With with self-esteem comes self-trust, and self-trust is the first secret to success. Beloved, as you listen to these points, can you see if and where you are still needing God's help to change? I can very clearly see where I was pre-burnout and in which areas God has been working to bring me to wholeness again. And as I said, He's still in the kitchen, I'm still in the oven. For example, Just starting to go to gym five days a week 
has had a hugely positive mental effect on my sense of well. I'm not yet where I need to be, not by a long shot, but at least I'm doing something about my physical fitness. Even baby steps, beloved, baby steps in the right direction. How does the longest journey begin? With the first step. And I must tell you that I did not have the money for gym membership. So I asked my father God, and he raised up people who paid for me. Come on, church. Let's begin to look now what causes us to lose self-esteem. We have touched on some of these factors in previous messages, but the truth bears repeating. We've got to keep hearing this stuff until we get it. There are, these are some of the ways that our self-esteem and confidence can and probably will be eroded. The first one is guilt. Deliberate Habitual disobedience creates guilt which is spiritually soul-destroying. I'm not talking about false guilt. I'm talking about real guilt. When we who are designed to walk joyfully in the light and to live by happy obedience, when we continually sin by following our carnal desires, we become so much less than what we are meant to be. We are shooting below ourselves. We are missing the mark. It's almost as if the spirit of life within us gradually begins to leak away from a river of flowing waters to just a little trickle of God's mercy drops. Habitual sin leads to spiritual death and fills us with a disturbing sense of guilt, which makes it almost impossible for us to feel secure or confident. Ephesians 2 verse 1 In the past, you were dead because you sinned and fought against God. That's the connection. The second one is shame. A sense of shame is chronic and very often stems from a dysfunctional home or church life. In the one, dad is always putting the child down with fault-finding and negative criticism. Or you'll never make anything of your life. Or you're useless, just like your mother. Or why weren't you born the other gender? In the other case, the preacher is always reminding the people of their shortcomings and failures. The result is that the people become shame-based. In other words, they begin to believe him. They begin to believe that there is something in them that causes them to be wrong. You see, guilt is something you do or don't do. Something you say or don't say. But shame is something you are. And that's bad. That's an identity issue. Guilt 
can be repented of and cleansed, but shame erodes our self-esteem and leaves us feeling inadequate and unloved. And this can also, of course, happen between spouses, between teachers and learners, between student and student. It can happen in the workplace. In fact, it's just another form of bullying. But it is deadly poisonous. The third one is legalism. Legalism is often doing the right thing, but with the wrong attitude or for the wrong reason. Job had three such friends, so-called friends, whose legalistic accusations crushed his spirit and brought him to the place where he said in Job 17.1, My spirit is crushed. My days are over. It's the grave for me. Legalistic people who, in a heavy-handed and domineering way, are always imposing and forcing their beliefs, their rules, and their values onto others, can literally squeeze the grace of God out of those people and leaving them feeling hurt and abused. I can give you many examples of legalistic people who have been so caught up in legalism, in the law, that they forgot to bring the grace in dealing with matters and thereby totally misrepresented Jesus and Father God. One man I worked with was so legalistic that he banned all forms of television and music from his house. His two teenage sons eventually ran away from home. I think legalism is the enemy of grace. And I'm not talking about slippery, do as you will, live as you, live as you choose grace. I'm talking about real grace, mercy in action. John 1.17 Because while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus, the Messiah. The New Testament brings the grace. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 He alone makes us adequate ministers who are focused on an entirely new covenant. Our ministry is not based on the letter of the law, but through the power of the Spirit. The letter of the law kills, but the Spirit pours out life. We'll look at some more causes in our last segment, but first let's listen to some more music. Welcome terug by die watergat. Ek is Peter Warren and jy is ingeskakel op Ad Radio. We are talking about the causes of losing our self-esteem. The fourth cause is our background. Many are casualties of their past and very often because of the decisions of other people in their past. These can be hereditary, can be f- through friends, 
so-called friends, peers, and through their environment. These things mould their young lives as I sketched in session one. There are many things we didn't choose. But they came anyway. Some of their life choices are good, some are bad, but most are just mediocre, middle of the road, so-so. And that, beloved, is the way the system has trained them to respond. Just be middle of the road, don't make waves, just be average, don't go against the stream. You see, family background, our schools, universities, places of employment, the whole system predominantly has been geared to make them mediocre. Fortunately, there are places of bright light where people, mensen kan uitstijg. Eventually, we stop even trying. Like the elephant tied to a small spike in the ground. He has more than enough power to pull out that stake. But he has been conditioned to believe that he doesn't have that power. And so he doesn't even try, he just stands there. Number five is obsessive perfectionism. I'm not talking about doing a good job. I'm talking about being obsessively striving after perfection. Perfectionism is unrealistic excellence. It produces guilt. It's a fine thing to strive for excellence. But if we always insist on perfection from ourselves and everyone around us, we can drive ourselves and everybody else nuts. Realistic excellence doesn't mean you have to be the best in the world. It simply means be the best you that you can be with what you've got where you're at. David Burns put it this way, Perfection is man's ultimate illusion. It simply does not exist in the universe. If you are a perfectionist, you are guaranteed to be a loser in whatever you do. The next point is negative self-talk. Most of us talk to ourselves the whole day. Self-talk, it is called. We contemplate upcoming events and challenges. We encourage ourselves when we are building up to making decisions. We encourage ourselves to be confident and so on. Positive self-talk is therapeutic and good. But negative self-talk is about the most destructive thing we can do. Healthy self-talk reinforces our self-image. But speaking negatively to ourselves destroys all possibility of success. All possibility of success. Henry Ford, the founder of the motor company, said, Think you can, think you can't. Either way, you are right. 
challenge, eh? The next point, heartache. Proverbs 15, 13. A joyful heart makes the face cheerful, but by a painful heart the spirit is broken. It is good and normal to mourn the death of a loved one, but prolonged grieving gradually destroys our self-esteem. I know a woman whose daughter died on the way home from her matric farewell. Beautiful, beautiful young girl. This poor mother converted her entire lounge into a shrine for her lost daughter, and her death became the only thing spoken about in that house. Eventually no one wanted to go near the place anymore because of the terrible sadness. And it stayed like that until the mother passed away as well. Now there are medicines to cure all kinds of ailments. But, beloved, there is not much to cure feelings of being abandoned or abused, of being betrayed by a colleague or friend, or disappointed in love. Only Jesus can heal that broken heart. But he won't force it upon you. Turn to him. The next point is critical words. Just as in the same way good words and positive speaking build us up, offering encouragement and affirmation, so too our self-image is undermined when we and others talk critically about us. Proverbs 12.18 reads as follows, Sharp words cut like a sword, but words of wisdom heal. Our self-esteem can also be eroded by rejection, a feeling of not being wanted or included, by loneliness or lack of fellowship, by failure. When we forget that it's normal to make mistakes and that failure isn't fatal. The good news is that in all of these causes we are restored through confession, through receiving forgiveness, living in obedience, being where Jesus can teach us and letting the word richly dwell in us. This might sound old-fashioned, but I'm telling you, Jesus has all the answers to life and no one else does. No matter what the world does to us, only Jesus can fill our potholes and make us whole. That's one of the reasons he came. He said so in Luke chapter 4 at verse 18. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Don't bother looking to people for your healing. They do not have it. They cannot make it happen. Not even your spouse can fill your potholes. 
Your spouse has their own portals. Well, thank you, Jesus, that you are the healer. I want to ask today, Lord, that when we come to pray just now, I ask that you please release your balm of Gilead to help our hearts to heal. Heal us, O God, for that's why you came. One of the reasons. Now, beloved, in my next message, we will begin to look at choices we can make to rebuild our self-esteem. Remember to tune in to Devata Chat, the watering hole, on At Radio, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. Make a note in your diary. Write it in lipstick on your shaving mirror. As we come to pray now, I want to encourage you, never mind where you are and where you're at. If you really, honestly, just simply, truthfully, call out to God, stop fighting Him, surrender control to Him, He will reach out and He will meet you where you're at and help you as you are. But you need to invite him in. And to do that, you need to believe that your life can change with his help. Do you believe that? Make a life-changing decision. Right here, right now, today, when I mention the prayer items. Invite the Lord to come and be the Lord and to do what only he can do. And most of all, beloved, thank him for how he's going to answer your prayer today. I remind you, as I always do, you're not designed to be defeated by these things. You are designed to live a victorious, overcoming, joyful, successful, purpose-filled life as a beacon of light and hope. Jy is vir oorwinning ontwerp. Kom ons luister nog oulaas muziek en dan gaan ons bid. Will you forgive yourself for wrong choices? I know it's not always easy, but oftentimes, you know one thing that has helped me, I've made some terrible decisions and it's cost me and my family But that's all I knew at that time. I did the best I could. It wasn't good enough. You know, how many times have you heard people say, if I only knew then what I know now. Well, you didn't know it then. So get over that. Build a bridge. Cross over it. And then burn it. Will you forgive each and every person, including yourself, who have wronged you? Did you find the areas 
where you are still harming yourself and you need God's help to heal. Those things like guilt, critical words, heartache, obsessive performance, background, legalism, shame. Which one of those stood out for you? Or two of those? And will you join me in asking Jesus today to help us heal? Finally, if you sit in here and you've heard this message, you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. That can change today. If you feel you need to make right with God, you can do that right here, right now. And you can begin that process. It's immediate, but it's also a process. I don't want to put words into your mouth, but you can ask the Lord if he's real, that he will reveal himself to you in a way that you'll know it's him and that this is the truth that I'm speaking today. And you're going to have to have a chat with him. You're going to have to tell him about your life. You can say whatever you want to say, but you need to tell him that you lived your life your way with all the wrongdoings, because you were none the wiser. You didn't know about his right way of living. But today you want that to change. And then you can say to him, Lord, I believe that you came and died on the cross for my sins, my wrongdoings. And you died and you rose again and you're coming to fetch your bride. And I want to be part of your bride. And so, Lord, I ask you today to forgive me all my sin, all my wrongdoing, even as I forgive myself for the way I responded to life's knocks. And I ask you to forgive me for not forgiving other people. I forgive them today. Every single person, every single person that made choices that negatively impacted me, sinned against me, hurt me, betrayed me, stabbed me in the back. You need to forgive all those people. Set yourself free from what they did. What they did, they will answer for one day when they meet their God, if they have one. And you need to ask Jesus to wash you clean of all your wrongdoing and to restore to you the joy, the salvation, the life and the purpose, the identity that he has for you. And you need to say thank you, Jesus. So, beloved, let us all just pray and ask the Lord's help today. Lord, as we look at all these self-esteem issues, we know we are still works in progress. But we thank you, Lord, that we're still in the oven and that you're still in the kitchen. 
And one day is one day you're going to take us out of the oven and you're going to say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, would you please touch us by your Holy Spirit today and heal our broken hearts. Would you pour out your balm of Gilead? And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in answer to all these prayers today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Daar sy geliefde, vleit vleit, my story is uit. Dankie vir die keier, by die watergat. Tot weersiens, sterte daar. Remember, you are writing the last chapter of your life.